0: If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclive.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well good morning, Church. How are you feeling today? I don't know where you are watching today, whether it's in central Indiana or somewhere else, but it is absolutely gorgeous outside here in, uh, in Indiana. Isn't, it, isn't that right? In Greenwood, 75 and sunny, so, so beautiful outside. Welcome to all of our campuses, our Banta campus, our Franklin campus, our Garfield Park campus, all of our campuses joining us right now and everyone else watching online. Welcome. My name is Danny. We're in a series right now called Do Better. We started it last week and we had another series planned that we put on hold because we wanted to address an issue that as a church we have never addressed head-on before Um, and and that is the issue of racism it is uh, it is something that has come up there's been events that have triggered it in our world today and there is uh, basically our country is on fire right now and so we wanted to talk about what was going on in your lives and look at God's word and see if we can make sense of all of this Racism. You know, I was listening to another pastor talk about this, Pastor Andy Stanley, last week. He did a great talk uh, to his church, uh, many different campuses in the the Atlanta area. He said something I thought was uh, really captured the the tension of of this series, and that is he said, You know, when you talk about a topic like this, it's like walking through a minefield and you're tiptoeing and you're just, you want to be careful with every single word you say because this topic is charged with. Lots of emotions, lots of pain, lots of hurt, lots of strong opinions. I've gotten more emails this week than I've ever gotten about any single one talk I have ever given, uh, both for the positive and for the negative. And so it's like, whoa, no wonder I don't talk about this stuff because I don't like controversy. Uh, but this this issue is incredibly charged with emotion. And unfortunately, it is a political issue. It shouldn't be a political issue. It is a political issue. Both sides are grabbing this polit- This football, this political football, trying to get yards from it uh, on their side. And, and that's unfortunately, that's just the case. And uh, it's a very, very difficult issue to kind of sort through what is truth and what is not truth. The reason we are talking about it today, because be, from my perspective, I do not believe it's a political issue. I believe it's an issue of sin and righteousness and humanity. Anybody else? And that's why we must talk about this issue, but it is incredibly difficult. You know, uh, Pastor Andy Stanley said, you know, it would be so much easier if our church was one of those far left-leaning churches, because then I could, you know, say the party line and tell a few stories and say some things, and everybody would cheer and be like, I love my pastor. Or if we were one of those far right churches, then I could say a few things and say a few phrases and tell some stories, and everybody like, I love my pastor. But unfortunately, we're neither far left nor far right, we're somewhere in the middle, so I'm going to probably disappoint a lot of you. (laughs) And that's just... that's." Just the, that's the, the minefield illustration there. And so I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I'm going to do my best because I believe it's an issue God wants me to touch on. Let's talk about racism. I gave you a definition in the last week. Let's talk about it again. Racism is, racism is a belief that one's ethnic group, not their race, because there are no races. Okay? You look in the Bible, there's one race. It's called the human race. We created race. Race is a social construct. Everyone has a different ethnic group. But racism is this belief that my ethnic group or your ethnic group is superior and therefore has the right to dominate, mistreat on the low levels, and then even annihilate at the worst levels. We saw that with Nazi Germany, right? Nazi Germany, the Aryan uh, ethnic group, thinks that their race is superior to the Jewish, and so let's just kill them all, right? And then you get a holocaust. And there uh, other groups that are deemed inferior. This this one concept, this one sinful idea is, is, is has caused... Uh, in unimaginable destruction and pain to the human race uh, over over our existence here on earth and that is why we must talk about this not because it's a political issue because it's a sin it's a sin issue for me this issue has always been put into the uh the circle of concern i introduced you last week to stephen covey's two circles circle of concern circle of influence those of of you of you who read seven habits of highly effective people you'll recognize this These are the areas or these are the things or events or situations or circumstances that I can do do nothing about. I can't affect change. So I can be concerned about them. And I've always put racism in that circle. Because after all, I am not personally a racist. At least that's what I told myself. If a person comes up in front of me, regardless of the color of their skin, I'm going to treat them equally. So I'm like, this isn't my issue. So I don't have to preach on it. I don't have to talk about it because I personally am not a racist. The things, the things that are in my control are in this category. That's my marriage and my attitude and my finances. Those are the things that I can directly influence. So I'm going to focus here and, and not on here. And then over the last couple of weeks, God has said, you can do better than that. You can do better than that. We've got to move this issue from circle of concern to circle of influence. And that's why we're doing, we're doing this series. Now, before I go any further, let me make mention of a story I told last week about one of my staff members here. Uh, that was uh, mistreated by police law enforcement, local law enforcement. Uh, I told that story if you were here last week, you heard that story if you're watching online. uh, The sheriff's office reached out to me graciously, kindly, called me up and said, hey, we would love uh, to tell you our side of the story. We looked up the incident, we have it all on video, body cams, we have audio, if you'd like, you can come in and watch the 13 minute clip. So I absolutely said yes. I drove to the sheriff's office. I was like, man, I do one talk on racism. Here I am in the sheriff's office. I can't believe it. That's why I don't talk about this stuff, you know? And so there I am, and, and, and I was meeting with uh, Major Andy Fisher, uh, and, and you know, he pulled me in, and all of a sudden, I see Sheriff uh, Burgess in there, and I introduced myself to him. I'd never met him before. We sit down, so kind, so gracious. They said, okay, let's watch the footage. I watched the 13-minute video. And what I saw uh, was uh, two, two police officers treating uh, my staff member with respect and dignity, and it was a very normal traffic stop. Issued a warning, and, and on she went. And so I issued an apology. I apologize sincerely. I sent all of you an email. Hope you're on our email list, you got that email. Um, great, uh, Sheriff Burgess was so kind and gracious. He said, I accept your apology. We just wanted you to see from our side of the story uh, what, what happened. And so, uh, so we, we, we patched that up as, as, as much as we could. When you mess up, you gotta own it. And so we owned it. And, uh, and as far as my staff member is concerned, I talked with her about it. She, I, I believe with all my heart she did not intentionally mislead me or deceive me. You know, sometimes you go through life and you have experiences and you have a perception of the way something happens. And that perception is sometimes What? Reality may not be, but that is how you experience certain things. I do not believe there was intent to deceive or lie to me whatsoever. And so, uh, so that, I just wanted to clarify that before we moved on with the rest of today's talk. Now, that being said, what do I want to do today? Well, I want to talk about the cure of racism. How about that? Isn't that a bold statement? I believe I have found the cure for racism. Hey, there you go. I just put it out there. Some of you think I'm absolutely crazy, but hear me out, hear me out. I was listening to a podcast this week uh, from two gentlemen talking, and the the name of the podcast is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turk. It's a pretty good podcast, and they were talking about racism. They said, you know, when you go into the doctor's office and you're sick, the first thing the doctor does is he diagnoses you. Okay, let's just go with cancer because cancer is a very, very common diagnosis. What the doctor's going to do is he's going to say, okay, let's take a look back. Let's take a look back at your history. Did your dad have cancer? Mom have cancer? Do you have any, you know, you know what, have you smoked? Did you grow up in a smoker's home? Do you smoke two packs a day? One. How much do you smoke? What the doctor's going to do is try to understand where did this deal come from? Okay, and then he's going to spend most of the time as he tries tries to treat you looking forward at the solution. But you can't look at the solution before you look back at where this thing came from. And so, with racism, the same thing must happen. We have to, if we want a solution, we've got to look back and see as a church. Okay, not necessarily as a nation. I think we should as a nation, but as a church, because that's our realm of influence. We got to look back. Where did this come from before we can look forward about what the solution is? So let's take a quick look back into American history. What we found. I am not an expert. I'm not a historian. If you want to fact check me and correct me, I will own it if I'm wrong. But this is what I have studied thus far. When you go back in American history, what we find is that racism is a social construct. What does that mean? That simply means that it's made up. Race itself is made up. Racism is made up. People created this thing called race and racism. When the first colonizers came over from England to America, their goal was to find gold, precious silver, metals, and jewels, and their, their goal and intent was to get wealthy and to make money. It was an economically driven adventure. The first colonizers coming over so they come over and they quickly find out that in America, there's not much gold, there's not much precious gems. And, there's and so what did they do? They looked to what they could make money on, which was the fields, tobacco, sugar, uh, rice, cotton, all these different things. And that's how we're going to make money. Well, they made some attempts to enslave the Native Americans. That's a whole nother part of a talk I cannot get into right now, but they were unable to enslave them. So then they looked to Africa, particularly West Africa. And they began uh, bringing ships over, in all, over 300 years. 10 to 12 million Africans, West Africans, came across the Atlantic. 20% of them died on the ships. That's about 2 million people, okay, horrific conditions. They were brought over to America for the specific purpose to work in these fields to make a profit for the original colonizers. You can check on all that. That's my understanding of, of American history. Now. They get here, and uh, the first shipment of, of Africans come over in 1619. And mixed in all of these original colonizers were very, very spiritual people. Pastors, missionaries, evangelists, church going. These are, these are you know, church people, okay? They happened to be white people, but they were church people. They were Christians. And so their, their natural response to all these you know, people that didn't look like them, so-called heathen, they was to preach to them and to share the message of Christ with them and to evangelize them. And they did that. And guess what? Many of the Africans began to put their faith in Christ and their trust in Christ. Well, this created a huge dilemma. These people were here to, to to be, you know, slaves, and now they've become spiritual brothers and sisters. What do we do now? Because back in England, it was against the rules to enslave a spiritual brother or a spiritual sister. You could not do that. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're like family. I'm not going to enslave you. So they had this huge, this huge dilemma, moral, moral dilemma. What are we going to do? Unfortunately, what they chose to do is to dehumanize the Africans. Just label them as less than human. They came up with this word chattel. Does that look familiar? We get our term cattle from this word chattel. In the slave codes that the original colonizers came up with, they, they said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. These folks are just chattel. They're on the same level as livestock. They are, they are property. And because they're property, they have no rights. You can treat them as you, as you want to treat them. You can beat them. You can sell them. You can do this to them. You can separate if they're married. You can separate their children. They're, they're not human. They're, they're less than human. And if they're less than human, well, then I can preach to them and give them the gospel and, and then also have them work for free in the fields as property. In the color of compromise, Jamar Tisby says this. This is just a historical, uh, you know, walk through American history. He says, over time, Europeans compromised the message of Christianity to accommodate slavery, while also, in their minds, satisfying the requirement to preach the gospel to them and make disciples. You see the compromise there. This tension. How can we continue to make money and also preach the gospel and get these people saved? These are, these are Christians. Well, that went on for some time, and many, many Africans became Christ followers, and they start reading the Bible, and some of, them, some of them even became preachers and started studying the Bible, and they're reading stories about how God saved Israel out of the slavery, out of the bondage from the Egyptians. All throughout this book, you find ideas about equality, about freedom, about liberty and they're reading this and they're studying this and like, well, I don't have any of that. I don't have freedom. I'm not equal. I'm not being treated as as an equal to you. And so the, you know, the, they started to be rebellions and there started to be pushback. And, and so the, the, the white Christian slave owners decided we've got to do something to get control of this. This is a hundred years before the constitution was signed and ratified. The Virginia Company, which was a group of legislative, a legislative group in in the original colonies, they said, we got to put this into a law. And this plaque, there's a plaque that stands in a museum in Virginia today with these words on them. 1667, see the date? It is enacted and declared by this grand assembly and the authority thereof that the conferring of baptism does not alter the condition of the person to as to his bondage or freedom. What does that mean? That means if you are a black man, a black woman, and you put your faith in Christ and you get baptized, do not think that you are free. You might be free from your sins. You might be set free by the blood of Jesus, but you are still a slave. Don't think otherwise. They were so scared of freedom and liberty for their slaves that they put it in writing now here's what's interesting about this virginia general assembly in order to be part of the the virginia general assembly you can fact check me on this you had to be an upstanding member of the anglican church what does that mean these are these are christians see To me, this isn't a white or black issue. Some of you wrote me emails this week. I can't believe I've come to church all this time, and now I feel guilty for being white. Hold up. Hold up. I'm not not trying to make any white people feel bad. This isn't a white or black issue. This is a Christian sin issue. You with me? This is the church. These are Christian men. Deciding to justify slavery, reducing human beings to less than humans so that they can continue making money. This is, a, this is a sin that Christian people created or Christian people committed. And so in your notes, I wrote this. If the church helped to create and perpetuate, which it did, if you, if you look back in history, this is not a white person sin, this is a Christian person sin, this is a church sin. If the church helped to create and perpetuate racism, it must be responsible for its dismantling. If there's still equality out there today, it's us, not white people. We've got all kinds of colors in our church, and there's all kinds of colors in all the churches. It's not white, black. It's the church's responsibility to dismantle this idea of racism and sin because we perpetuated it, and we created it, and we compromised over centuries to make it happen. So after after you know this 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 rule you know came about in Virginia for hundreds of years you know slavery was just practice it was part of the economy. We, they wouldn't have an economy without slavery. Well, f- people finally had enough of that and so that led to the Civil War, right? What was the Civil War? Civil War fought over states rights? <laughs> no. It was the states rights to hold slaves. That's what they fought. The bloodiest battle in American history. More Americans died in the Civil War than any other war. What was it over? It was over slavery. Well, then they abolished slavery with the 13th Amendment. And for a while, things went well. But then the the racism that was in people's hearts came out. And then we went through the whole Jim Crow era with segregation and terrorism and lynching and ridiculous laws that, that once again enslaved African Americans. And then that went on until the time of Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights, and we finally got the Civil Rights Act passed. And and all along the way, the church was compromising and not standing up for the problem that it created. Now, we have come a long way. It's not like the 1960s. I've looked, I've seen, I've read. Many of you lived through that. It's not like the time of Jim Crow. We've had a black president. We have made so much progress but we are not all the way there yet. We can still do better. Now, that's a, that's a look back. We have to look back. I know it's uncomfortable. And I, if you're feeling like it's your fault, you weren't there. Hey, let me let you off the hook. You didn't do it. It's not your fault. Relax. But it is the church's fault that we perpetuated it, created it, compromised with it all along the way. And so that's why it's time for us to step up and be part of the dismantling. Now, what is the solution? I made a bold statement earlier. said, you know what? I've got the cure for racism. Whoa, what are you talking about? Well, I actually don't. Jesus does. <laughs> it's called the law of Christ. If we follow the law of Christ collectively as a church and individually as people, there will be no room for racism, at least in our sphere of influence, where we go to school, where we go to church, where we do our business, whatever, we, whatever area we happen to work in, in our homes. Remember what a little kingdom is, right? It's the sphere of influence you, have, you, you, know, you exercise authority over. If we all, as individuals, and collectively as a church, practice the law of Christ, we would eradicate racism. Why? Because here's the law of Christ. You ready? Luke chapter 6, verse 31. Do to others as you wish, or as you would like them to do to you. Oh, it's so simple. We could teach this to kids, and they'd be like, oh, I get that. It's called what? It's called the... Golden rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do to others as you wish they would do unto you. If you were getting mistreated because of the color of your skin or some other physical difference on your body your hair, maybe you don't have any hair. (laughs) And people started making fun of you and treating you differently because of some physical thing on you. Wouldn't you want someone else to come to your defense? Do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. Racism goes away. Remember, racism is mistreating somebody because of the color of their skin. My ethnic background is superior than yours. Well, if I do to you what you do to me, if I, you know, there's, there's no space for this. Really what we're talking about is love. Love is doing what is best for neighbor by the way this works really well in marriage if you try it in your marriage oh man you have a killer marriage like this isn't that right honey she's sitting right here (laughs) i love you if you will do for your spouse what you wish they would do for you oh you have a you would have a killer marriage i'm talking about spectacular it would also eradicate racism jesus said this one time john chapter 13 So now I'm giving you a new commandment. I'm going to explain why it's new, because it's not new. I mean, this was in the Old Testament, you know, but we're going to find out why it's new. Love each other. Do what is best for other people. Do for others what you wish they would do for you. And then Jesus adds this, and this is why it's new. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. We'll come back to that in a second. Look at verse 35. Your love for one another... Will prove It will be the evidence that you are actually my followers and that I exist and that God exists. It will be the greatest apologetic. You know what apologetics are? It's the, it's the study or the, that God exists. It's the evidence that God exists. You want to know what the evidence of, of Jesus being real and you being his follower? How well you love your neighbor as yourself. Why is it a new commandment? It's a new commandment because Jesus, Jesus put some teeth on it, man. He says... I want you to love your neighbor as yourself in the same way that I've loved you. Wow. Now, how has he loved us? Think, think, think. He gave his life for us. Nails through the hands. Nails through the feet. Crown of thorns on the head. Whipped so bad he had no skin on his back. And eventually he suffocated on that cross. That's new. That's a whole new level of love your neighbor as yourself. All right, Jesus, are you saying that that my neighbor is the person who's in need? That man beat up left for dead, like we talked about last week, and you want me to sacrifice, get uncomfortable. Go the extra mile, be willing to suffer so that he, she, regardless of the color of their skin, can be blessed. Exactly. That's the golden rule. And if we as individuals did that for coworkers, classmates, neighbors in our neighborhood, strangers walking down the street, there would be no, do you agree that we would eradicate racism? Yes or no? Is this oversimplifying this or what? No wonder Jesus gave it to us so simply. Because it, it would solve all the problems. If we would just do for others what we wish they would do for us. So simple, but yet so hard to execute. The Apostle Paul takes this teaching of Jesus and, and, he, and, he, and he twists it just a, just a little bit to help us understand a little bit more what it means. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 6. Carry each other's burdens. And if you carry each other's burdens your neighbor, the person in need, in this way, in doing so, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. So what does it mean to love your neighbor? Well, in your notes, I wrote it like this. To love someone is to carry their burdens. The word carry in that word to bear up means to get under some burden, something that's weighing someone down and to lift it for them. So quite literally what Jesus is saying is when you see your neighbor under the burden, and today we're talking about the burden of racism, when you see your neighbor who, who has a different color skin being weighed down by the inequality in his or her uh, neighborhood, in his or her office, in his or her whatever, grocery store, you are to get under that burden and lift it with them. And that's what love looks like. And if each one of us individually lifted the burden and collectively as a church, we would dismantle racism. And it is our responsibility to do so. That's the importance of looking back. Where'd this problem come from? The church, Christ followers, people who were claiming that they believed in the Bible and they believed in Jesus, created it and perpetuated, and many of them, hundreds of thousands of them, died to protect their right to have slaves. People quoting scriptures in the South, making biblical arguments that these people are less than human, church-going people. Did you know that in 1865, the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest denomination of Christianity in this country, was created so that pastors could continue to hold slaves? If the church created slavery and racism, perpetuated it over the centuries, it's our responsibility in 2020 to step up and dismantle it. How come you're not cheering? Why aren't you cheering? We got to get under the burden. You say, well, it's not like it was in the 60s. I mean, come on. It's not like it was in the Jim Crow era. Come on. Haven't we come so far? Yes, we've come far. Yes, we've had a black president. But if you talk to people of a different color and you listen to their stories, it's not the same. Have we made tremendous progress? Yes. Do we still have a long way to go? Yes, we can do better. And it's our responsibility to do so. In your notes, I wrote it like this. As a church, we must step up. This is in our circle of influence now. It's no longer in our circle of concern. It's within our wheelhouse to help be part of the solution, to speak on it, to train on it, to connect with other churches that are working on on normalizing equality, to learn, to read, to study, to join hands, to lock arms. It's our responsibility and that's what we're gonna do as a church. But what about you as an individual? What does it look like for you as an individual in your sphere of influence, in your office, in your home, wherever it is you go, your local coffee shop? What does it look like for you to step up and be part of the solution, to carry the burden, to love your neighbor as yourself? couple of thoughts. First of all, you got to speak up. you got to speak up. you got to open your mouth. When you see mistreatment of any kind in a grocery store, in a bank, wherever you are and you see it, you could, it could be in a dorm room and someone's cracking racial jokes. You have a a choice right there in that moment to stay silent and allow it to continue or to say, hey, dude, that's not funny. Like I I have black friends and I have friends of all different colors and I just don't think that's funny. And then when we don't speak up, it continues and continues and continues in the office, in the dorm rooms, here in the grocery store. So what we can do as individuals is step up by speaking up, and that's what I'm trying to do right now, is to speak up on this issue. For some of us, we're employers. We, we actually employ people, and we have a staff, maybe a small staff, maybe a large staff. One thing you can do to step up is to be an equal opportunity employer. That's super simple. Do not judge by the color of someone's skin. Give everyone an equal, equal opportunity to get that position. Maybe you're not an employer. Maybe you're just an employee. You know what you can do? You can work in your office or wherever it is that you work to to create an equal opportunity place. Speak to your employer about this. Is that risky? Yeah, it's risky. This is risky. Talking about it ended me up in the sheriff's office. (laughs) This This is risky. This is risky. But, but that's, that's what carrying the burden looks like. It looks like you take a risk and you put your neck out there. Why? So that someone else's burden can be lighter. So if you see something in the office, you speak up, you, you talk. Something else you can do if you're an employer, you can, you can bring a, a firm in to do diversity training on this thing and train people on how to, how to be you know, a, a, a little bit you know, more accepting and loving of, of all different types of people. That's a huge thing right now. It's actually a requirement for many companies today to do adversity training on, on this issue. And if you're not an employer, you can encourage your employer to do this because in, as an employee at your office wherever it is you work, you know what people are saying. You know more what's going on in the company than the boss does. Yes or no? He's <laughs> like, my boss is an idiot, right? Because you're in the conversations and you're seeing what's going on and you're seeing how different people are getting treated and you know what's really going on. Well, speak up and say something. Say, hey, this is happening. You know, we got to change this. And so, you know, you can, you can do that. Is it risky? Yeah, it is. Another thing you can do is educate yourself. There are more resources out there today on this issue than there ever has been before. Just so many podcasts and books. Now, part of the education piece is, is just awareness. When you become aware of the, what's really happening on the ground level, it's, you know, you, it, it creates a, a compassion and, then, and, and the compassion leads you to to take action. Let me say this about education though. When you're reading and listening, I would encourage you to avoid the fringes. (laughs) You know, the far, far left and the far, far right. You know, normally those those, uh, spaces are are off, okay? And tell me if this isn't true in your experience. Normally uh, the truth is somewhere closer to the middle, yes? Yes? Which is why if Jesus were up here today you would have a really hard time pinning him down to a party. Some of you are like, no, he wouldn't. He'd be a Democrat. See, you have a problem. <laughs> That's your problem. <laughs> no, he wouldn't. He'd be a Republican. Again, you have a problem. See, you, he's, not, he's not that way. He is for truth. He is for justice. He is for Righteousness. So as you educate yourself, I would avoid the fringe sides. I would even avoid watching the news every night. Some of you are depressed and discouraged and frustrated and angry because you're watching the news. you got to stop watching the news every night. Of course, you got to stay informed, okay? Now, at 9 o'clock, that got a clap. That got to clap. You guys are dead. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Maybe the other campuses are clapping. But. <laughs> But uh, man, you got to lay off that diet of regularly watching that or or, or regularly watching one side. Like when I watch the news, it's like, okay, I I have to hear this side and I also have to hear this side. Because there's again, the truth is somewhere in the middle of this deal. And right now, this whole issue uh, with George Floyd is a political football, and people are running with this deal to try to advance their cause and their political party, whether that's to get in power or stay in power. And you got to be aware of that. There's so much manipulation going on out there today. And so as you educate yourself, you've got you to weigh. Here's what I try to do. Here's what I, and I'm not the expert on this. Please hear my heart. I'm just, I'm just trying to lead and guide and shepherd a little bit here. What I try to do is, is suspend my judgment suspend my judgment until I have heard from this side, this side, this side. Do not read and educate yourself to validate convictions or positions you already have arrived at. That's not education. That's forming an argument. And there's so much of that going on today, right? We have to suspend judgment and listen, 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 listen twice as much as we speak. I can't believe this, but yesterday I retweeted Charles Barclay. I did. <laughs> I did, I've never given Chuck a retweet, but I gave him a retweet yesterday because he, he nailed it. He said, people need to shut the plank up and, and, and listen and listen and listen. And he was exactly right on this issue. What else can we do? What does it look like to step up? Listen, I would say empathize, which is different from listening. A lot of times we listen because we're waiting to speak. Yeah, I do that in my marriage. It's a terrible habit. And sometimes I don't listen at all. Even. <laughs> you ever get that from your wife? Uh, you're not listening right now. Did you hear a word I just said? Okay, this is not a marriage talk. <laughs> when I mean by empathize is sit in their shoes which you have to listen to do that, so listening is a prerequisite. But then you, what you do is you, you, you just say, what's it like to walk a mile in your shoes? What's it like to sit in your seat? What's it like as a person with a different skin color to walk into the grocery store? Have you ever thought about that? Or to walk into Target? Just ask a black person that you know. Don't ask a stranger, okay? This is weird. Don't get weird. Don't be weird. Say, so, hey, hey, I was wondering, what's it like when you go into like a Target or store and I guarantee what you're gonna get, maybe not a guarantee, but there's a good chance you're gonna get a story something like this. Well, sometimes I'm followed around the store because the perception is I'm gonna steal something. That's, that's happening 2020 here. And, and when you realize that, when you're like, man, I, I didn't really know it was like that, like, what's it like at a restaurant? When you're ordering food, it's just different experiences. Not all the time, not all the time, but too many times. And what happens is you're like, oh, that's not right. And then when you feel like, when you feel that's not right, whatever that is, that anger, that frustration, that makes you want to say, we got to change that. Empathy creates compassion. Compassion triggers action. If we would take the time, Andy Stanley said this this last week when he gave a talk on this, he said, if we fail to listen or, or empathize to people who do not experience the world the way we do, we all experience the world, but when we fail to listen to people who, who've, who experience it different than we do, we will never bear their burden. Why? Because we don't know what the burden is. We are we have no knowledge. But when you, have, when you empathize and listen, now you're aware and you can step up and you can lift that load for people. I'm telling you, the answer to this deal is the law of Christ. It is not complicated. It is not easy, but it is not complicated. It is super simple. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we all did that, we would eradicate racism. It it would not be in our midst. We would normalize equality by following the golden rule. The question is, will you step up? As an individual. We're gonna do it as a church. Some of you may leave our church because oh, they became one of those woke churches or whatever, you know. I don't want to be part of that. Okay, that's fine. Maybe this isn't your church. But if it is, will you personally step up and speak up and talk to your boss? Stand up for a coworker. If you're in a grocery store, put a stop to it. Will you step? I hope that you will. I've done the very best that I could to deliver this message to you and to lob a pitch in for you to smack it out of the park, but I can't swing the bat for you and I can't run for you. And if you're standing there, sitting there, watching somewhere and you're like, I ain't doing it. You know, with that attitude, you know. I'm just going to let God's word speak to you. Not me. I'm going to let God's word speak to you. But anyone who does not love what is love? Carrying burdens, doing unto others as you wish they would do unto you, right? Doing what's best for your neighbor. Anyone who refuses to love, watch this, not my words, God's words, does not know God. If you refuse to step up to lift the burden of, of those who are suffering from inequality, you may not even know God. You may not even be a Christian. You can make an argument for those in history who are claiming, quoting scripture, you know, running the country, leading churches that they did not know God by the way they treated people. See, the way that we treat people validates the authenticity of our relationship with God. If you want to know if you have a great relationship with God, look how you treat people. Is it, ouch, that hurts, yeah? Anybody else, that hurts? We must love, we must carry burdens and by doing that we fulfill the law of Christ and we eradicate the evil of racism in our midst. We can't change the country, we can't change the world but we can change our little, our home and our office and the coffee shop we go to, the grocery stores we attend, We can change those areas by stepping up. I hope that you will. I'm going to try to lead the way. A few moments ago, I mentioned that Jesus gave us a new commandment, which wasn't a new commandment. He just put a little teeth on it. Love each other, John 13, 34. Love each other. Just as I have loved you. A few moments ago, I said, how did Jesus love you? Well, when you had your back turned on him, doing things your own way, when you were burdened and laden with sin, Jesus came to this earth and died in your place. He paid the penalty for your sin by dying on the cross. As I mentioned, he had nails put through his hands, through his feet, crown of thorns on his head, punched in the face, he had his beard plucked out. They spit on him, they mocked him, they whipped him on his back, they stabbed him in the side with a sword. All for you all so that you could be free from your sin, forgiven, washed, and cleansed, so that you can enjoy a relationship with God. That's what Jesus Christ did for you. He carried your burden. My question to you today is, have you, have you received that amazing gift of grace, that sacrifice of Christ on the cross? Have you, have you embraced that grace offered to you? If you haven't, I'm gonna encourage you to take that step today. I did it when I was 17. I I remember it like it was yesterday. I reached out and asked Christ to forgive me of my sins. I wasn't in church, I was in my backyard. And I remember he came into my life and he saved me and he forgave me and cleansed me and put me on a whole new path. Maybe today is your day where you trust Christ. I'm gonna say a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own. If you feel drawn in, if you feel led, at this moment that's god tugging on your heart that's the holy spirit moving on you step into this moment and trust in christ today he loves you say this to him dear jesus thank you for your grace thank you for dying in my place for taking the burden of my sin for carrying all my wrongdoing to the cross Paying the penalty that I should have paid. Wash me, cleanse me from my sin. Make me your child. And from this day forward, give me the courage to extend that same love, that sacrificial love towards my neighbors, the people who have burdens. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just prayed that prayer, there is rejoicing going on in heaven and there is rejoicing going on in this place. Come on, nice and loud, amen. We would love to put a gift in your hands. It's a, it's a box we've labeled a save box. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Inside this box, there is a Bible, there is a little cup, a gift from us to you. And there's also some instructions on how to get involved in the church, about small groups, about baptism. If you would text the word save to 65248, Put in some information. We would love to send one of these to you in the mail to get you started on your new relationship with Christ. One more time. Can we give God glory? Amen. Come on, nice and loud. All of our campuses. Hey, here's, your, here's, a, here's a, my commitment to you as your pastor and, and our elders at the church absolutely would, would, would come behind me, have come behind me on this issue. I'm going to try to lead the way to be part of the solution to join hands with all parties, uh, people, law enforcement, and try to bring reconciliation. We, we, We talked about this the last talk in the prayer series if you were here. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is that? What part of it is normalizing equality? I'm gonna try to lead the way in that as your pastor. I'm gonna get it wrong. I'm probably gonna say the wrong thing. I might say something that you disagree with. That's part of it. Hopefully that is minimal, but know my heart. The desire is to fulfill the law of Christ. My hope is that you'll take the journey with me. What do you think? You come along? Amen, amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this moment in history It's a tough moment, it's a hard moment. There's so much anger, so much angst, so much pain, so much manipulation, half-truths, falsehoods. I pray that you would give us wisdom as a church to be part of the solution, to live out and act out the golden rule, the law that you gave us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Give us the courage to do that in our homes, in our offices, in our community. I know that if we do that, you'll honor us and you will heal our communities and our country. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Right now we're gonna hand things off to our local teams. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Bring a friend.